Welcome back to another episode of the Young Guides Podcast. I'm Keaton and this is... I'm Kyle. But first, a word from our partners. First up, we want to talk about Heather's Choice. If you go to the Heather's Choice website and use our code theyoungguides 15 at checkout, you can get yourself 15% off site-wide. So go check them out. We got packaroons for snacks. We got dinners. We got breakfasts. We got a bunch of new recipes coming out to you guys. So head on over to heatherschoice.com at checkout. Use our code, the young guides 15 and get you guys something for your next outdoor adventure. Awesome. For our next partner, we have lucky bug lures home of the bingo bug, zombie max fusion extreme lucky plug F bomb and pike bomb. They take conventional lures and change them up a little bit and it helps your fishing and your luck on the water go check them out www.luckybuglures.com go get yours today all right up next we have northern knits emily up here in anchorage knits wool hats and uh, distributes them through her social media platforms you can find her on facebook or on instagram her instagram account is northern dot underscore dot knits and uh, you can see some of the hats that she has in stock and order from there or you can kind of get an idea of what you want message her and you can set something up uh, to have a specific uh, pattern or color scheme that you want in your hat keaton and i both have one well uh, i actually have several keep you very warm they're very fashionable they look great they feel great You'll look awesome if you wear one too. Check her out, Northern Knits. Next up, we have a friend, Matt, at Alaska Rod Co. He just released a new lineup of rods for the 2022 season. They have a lineup of eight freshwater spinning rods with actions and power for anglers chasing big, aggressive fish. With lengths ranging from six foot to nine foot, there are plenty of options for various applications and style. In a world full of mass-produced rods, Alaska Rod Co. makes sure that rods and services provide what other brands cannot. Rods built and tested in Alaska. Matt also is coming out with a new line of fly rods. Alaska Rodco fly rods are built for harsh environments while maintaining the utmost level of craftsmanship. Right now, Alaska Rodco is nine foot fly rods ranging from five weights to eight weights. 10 foot single hand rods, switch and spay rods will be available late winter or spring. There's enough rod comings out there trying to build the next lightest and flashy rod. Alaska Rodco is here to build you a rod you can pass down generations. Fishing means many things to many different people. Alaska Rod Co. is honored to build you the ultimate tool that connects you to that meaning. If you want to learn a little bit more about Alaska Rod Company, go back and check our previous podcast. We asked him several questions about his rods, his warranties. Um, it does, he does a great job at explaining everything and covering everything about his company also if you have questions you can always dm him or dm us and we can get you going in the right direction so alaska rodco finally we want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the young guides podcast if you can head on over to apple Podcasts, leave us a review and a rating it helps us know that we're Uh, doing this for the right reasons and you guys are giving us some great feedback already you can also head over to spotify they now have a rating feature 
on the podcast there. So if you could let us know how we're doing, that would be great. It also helps you, or excuse me, helps us spread the word through you. Um, but makes us pop up on the feeds um, wherever you listen to podcasts a lot more. If you give us a great rating and a great review, you can also head to our website and contact us through that form. If there's anything that you think we should know about, if you want to be on our show or if there is something that uh, we need to work on, you can also find us on Instagram and same thing. Give us some feedback, drop us a message and we will get back to you. With Instagram, make sure to also check our story. We uh, Before we do our podcast on Thursdays, we always have an option for you guys to ask questions to the people coming on our podcast. Um, and we get we post a lot of stuff that we like to get uh, viewers and people following us involved. So if you want to head on over, give us a follow and uh, start asking questions and join in on the fun on our Instagram page. Without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Young Guides Podcast. I'm Keaton and this is... I'm Kyle. And today we have a very special guest on, Jay Michelle, a conservationist, self-made guy with guide with tons of variety of fishing experience across Washington State. Great all-around human and we're so excited to have her on and can't wait to learn about her. Um, so with further ado, here's Jay Michelle. Well, hey, Jen, Kyle, Keaton, I'm just so excited to be on this podcast with you and want to give you you both a little shout out. I appreciate all the uh, energy and time you're putting into this. It's really important. Um, and I just can't thank you enough for inviting me on. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate that so much. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> so let's just get rolling into this. Uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, I grew up in Washington State. I grew up on the north end of the Hood Canal, right very near the Hood Canal Bridge. Um, started fishing when I was four, started fly fishing when I was seven. Uh, although I must let you know that doesn't mean I'm an amazing fly fisher person, just means that I'm super stubborn and kept after it. Um, I got some stories about being a young kid and trying to fly fish including cutting hair off like the cows and the dogs and stuff to try and tie flies, but we can get into that later or not. Um, but yeah, so currently I uh, am a guide. Uh, I pr primarily have done walk and wade guiding and rowing uh, down most of our rivers here on the OP. Uh, but about what now, three years ago, I blew a disc in my back. So I'm transitioning from rowing a lot to um, getting my captive's license and going for a sea run cutthroat trout uh, out of a boat um, on the South Puget Sound and also the Hood Canal. So that's just sort of basically broad, broad brushstrokes. That's me. Awesome. Gotcha. Gotcha. <clears throat> so you got into fishing when you were, when you were young. Did your family fish? Or was that something that you kind of wanted to get interested in? Or You know, when I was... Um, Three years old. Well, so, okay, real quick. My dad was a police officer. My mom was a stay-at-home mom with five kids. Um, and we lived on a farm. And so my mom worked the farm. My dad did his, his cop stuff. Um, he was raised on the same farm I was there at the foothills of the Olympic Peninsula. So um, his recreation was hunting and fishing. And out of five kids, I'm second to the youngest. I took to that like a duck to water. 
And none of the rest of my siblings really did. Who knows why? But I was begging him every chance. I'm like, oh, gosh, Dad, can we go fish? Can we go fish? Can we go fish? So, yeah, I, um, it was just sort of a thing. Like, I caught my first fish when I was four years old, and it was sort of on a weird lark. Um, and then when I was seven, um, I was on a lake paddling myself around in a little tiny canoe. And my dad was asleep in the van. And I saw these guys down river or down the lake, like oddly, like flinging shit through the air. And I didn't know what was happening, but they were the only people catching fish. And I got so excited that against my father's wishes, because his explicit instruction was, do not wake me up. I went and pounded on the door of the suburban van. I was like, da, 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 Well, being a police officer, he like came out like, thinking like something horrible was happening. It wasn't. I was just like, what are they doing? And can I do that too? <laughs> and God bless. He, he did not give me grief for that. He just said, hey, that's fly fishing. I don't know how to do it, but we'll figure it out. So a week later, he brought me home my first fly rod, which, by the way, was a Fenwick fiberglass. Oh, cool. and, and two weeks after that, he brought me home my first fly tying kit. And then no animal on the farm was safe. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool awesome. so were you you know did you how was the learning curve for casting and like figuring all that out did you guys do it together did you know someone like or did you just kind of flip it out there and figure it out no you know what Keaton that's a great question because you know this was pre-internet right mm -hmm. so you know, and I grew up in a town that kind of had a depressed economy and didn't have a lot of resources. So um, I all I had to rely on in the first bit of that, probably the first seven years. So until I was 14, all I had to rely on was the memory in my head about watching those folks cast on that lake that I saw. Um, and and then I would go to the library and I would look up like fly fishing flies in like the encyclopedia and stuff. Um, but they were pictures of, now I know, they were pictures of Atlantic flies, like the beautiful spay. Um, and I'd be like, well, my kit only has brown, gray, and white thread and a weird parrot, yellow, orange, and white. And I don't, so I started stealing thread for my mom's sewing kit because she still on our clothes at the time. I got in a lot of trouble around that. But I was just trying to reproduce what I saw. But it wasn't until I was 14 years old that um, Lefty Cray came through Paulsville, Washington. And he had a, a demonstration. And I went and saw him. And my mind was like, I, my mind was blown and my life changed forever. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah. Dang. So you got your fly rod you got your fly tying kit you started learning how to cast do you remember your first fish on a fly rod and what that was like yeah for sure yes i do um i i, I was about i was at the same year i was 14 the whole family took a trip down to um these like sand dune lakes in oregon and i was just desperate to fish didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I, this little sand dune lake, I cast out, uh, uh, like what now I think is a stimulator mm -hmm. out hit right next to a, um, lily pad in this bass just came and crushed it. 
Nice. But the thing was, I got so excited, like I, you know, yanked it back and the bass went flying over my head. <laughs> and, uh, That's awesome. But I was like, oh shit. So I ran and got the, you know, put it back in the water. But um, the, the memory beyond that, the thing that was interesting to me, which has been a theme, is that there were folks back on the bank and they were all saying, oh, look at that guy. Look at that guy cast. Oh, look, look, look. And my dad like turned around and shouted at them. She's a girl. And they were all like, oh, like I said, oh, gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. So what what was it just kind of a downhill slope from there? You just you caught your first bass on the fly rod. What was like, what was your next, you know, move? Were you just oh. going after trout? Were you, what, what was on your hit list? Oh, man. No, you know what? More than, I mean, everything. Like um, any kind of body of water I was near, I was fishing. Like any kind of free time I had, I was fishing. Um, didn't really actually care about the species. More, I just wanted to fish and catch something. Like yeah. there was something electric, and there still is for me, around communicating with another species in that way that is so magical to me like like it's 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 frankly it's a little bit spiritual for me like i can cajole convince fool this other this other life form into just playing with me for a second <laughs> yeah and, and then and then enjoying it just for a second and then for the most part letting it go again but i just i love that so much yeah so I, I went crazy. I I uh I went to lakes and I fished for catfish. I went to streams and I fished for trout. Like I was in the I was in the salt fishing for surf perch. Didn't know what I was doing, but just trying. Like yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So when when did you get to the point where you're like, I wonder if I can make money at this. I wonder if I can actually become a be a guide or, or figure out something to do in the industry. Now, Kyle, that's a great question because I still don't know if I can make money at this, but <laughs> <laughs> I think Keaton and I are in the same boat. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I went, I put myself through school. Uh, I put myself through grad school. I worked um, in different industries around uh, in, um, behavioral science and coaching and, and third-party conflict negotiation and that kind of stuff. The whole time I was doing that, I was, I was fishing on the side. I was teaching on the side. I was um, just volunteering for like Trout Unlimited and different organizations on uh, Soul River at a, on the side. Um, and in 2000, 2017, I just realized that I was just burned out of the corporate side of stuff. And I was like, you know, do you know who doesn't argue as much as people in the workplace? Fish. I'm gonna go start working with fish. So I, what I was doing, you know, part-time and as a labor of love, I decided to just convert into a full-time business. So, um, and it, you know, I've never looked back and um, I love it so much. And although if you ever wanna sleep again, don't start your own business, but here I am. So, <laughs> yeah. so much to, that goes into a business that I think anyone that starts out and dives into it doesn't realize at first. I, I did my taxes this year and it was like, I had all this list of stuff and I was like, oh, I'm going to be here for days. That's right. Yeah. Cool. 
so you kind of talked about um that you know we went from childhood to guiding right what was the life in between like how at some point do you feel like hey i i finally kind of got the hang of this a little bit and i'm excelling here and how how did your growth as a person you know a fisher woman uh yeah keaton that's a great question um actually i i first felt like i had a foothold so i i've always so i was an athlete growing up Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was a coach, um, and there was a time early on when I realized that I could teach and I could teach well, um, and that translated into casting, teaching, casting, teaching, fly tying. Uh, but, but for the most part, honestly, I can bring the stoke. So I was really good at, and I recognized early, thankfully, that I was really good at getting folks interested and excited about conservation stuff that was happening on the river, on the stream, on the lake, and so that and that really started to pay off for me. So in my in my early on volunteer uh, gigs, I could really bring lots of folks together to do really great work around conservation, and that's how I that's how I sort of rolled, and I still do. Like so, I tend to find jobs and um, volunteer positions where I can do the most good by uh, bringing the stoke to folks and then they will bring it tenfold to the river stream, whatever conservation project. Like, yeah, so that's kind of, and I recognize that early on, thankfully, um, probably I started doing that when I was 17 and I'm not 17 anymore, (laughs) but it's, (laughs) but it's been really, um, I've been really successful at that, and I and I and I'm very thankful that that's true, because um, I really like. At the end of the day, owning my own business or not, I feel like getting folks to care about fish and yeah. cold water, cold clean water, even if they don't fish, is like the only way we're ever gonna be. Well, we're ever gonna maintain what we have, and maybe even bring back what is right now failing yeah um, yeah it's a it's very much a passion of mine so sorry i don't know if i answered your question but um, uh, well said so what what was it that triggered you to be like oh i need to work in like fish conservation i need to work in river conservation like what triggered you to make you want to start thinking that way and i think that um honestly i don't remember um, the, the, I don't remember not feeling that way. I think that probably what happened to me happens with most of us who spend a t- time outdoors and in nature is that you start to really care about where you're at and you love, I love what, what outside gives to me and helps soothe my soul and, and makes me just feel more connected and a whole person. And then I realized that I need to, um, do what I can to preserve that for other people. And so I, 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 uh, you know, I grew up, my dad was a police officer. Um, and you know, he told me way when I was super young, I remember him saying, uh, Hey, he's like, you know, some people become police officers for the wrong reason. He says, but I became a police officer because I want to help people. And this was like, God, 1970, right. This was, 
That's crazy. It kind of it kind of stuck with me, and I I was like, oh, because even at that point, I was like, what five years old? I could see him struggling with that profession, <clears throat> and I really wanted to know, like, why are you going through this? And he's like, because I want to help people, and and then as I I I kind of adopted that sort of um uh sort of way of I want to be in service to others and I want to be in service to the the environment that I enjoy and I don't feel like I can just take 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 I need to give as well so that I sort of adopted it early on so you know if you're you go out you you hit a lake or a stream you see trash you pick it up it's not a it's not a question of if I pick it up you pick it up like it was just that kind of a I guess sort of the culture I was raised in that really sort of um, helped me navigate directly to conservation. Wow, that gave me that kind of gave me goosebumps, you know, because it's just like you're speaking my language, right? You got to do what you what most people don't want to do to preserve what we have. Oh my right? god, absolutely. That's just kind of as she as she says this, Keaton. I'm kind of thinking, oh, I know a guy who's kind of like that. <laughs> Yeah, I especially you got to be especially in urban fisheries. Holy shit! So right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I since we're kind of on this boat of conservation, do you think that your passion grew as you started seeing declines and other things happening around you? Because I mean, you're you've lived it a lot longer than me and Kyle have lived it, right? So you're gonna see the bigger changes, the bigger impacts, like. I, you know, when I finally got to an age where I could understand the salmon were kind of already like in a lot of rivers, almost gone, you know? So when a small run I thought was huge, but then you hear like, you know, your uncle or someone, another fisherman, like, oh, this is like a quarter of what used to be here when I was your age. So did that kind of give you a little factor in that? Or can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, um, if I understand your question, yeah. um, I think when I really started, probably in my 18, from being 18 on, I started to see declines in fisheries. And I start, and interestingly, because you know, I'm 55 right now. So interestingly, in my um, late teens, early 20s, I started to hear about this thing called catch and release. And it was a new sort of concept. Um, and it wasn't really well explained, but it was a thing. So I really went on a quest to try and figure out what the heck it was and why we we're doing it and what was happening. And I think that kind of opened my eyes into what the decline of a lot of fisheries that weren't really being talked about um, at the time. So I think, and then I started to sort of like, just get out of my own like um, vision, tunnel, tunnel vision around catching fish and all the stuff. I started to sort of try and pay more attention to what was happening around me. And that's when I realized that there was a decline happening that, um, again, not a lot of folks are talking about, but it was troubling uh, for me. Cause you know, I, I'm here in the great PNW, right? I'm in Washington state, I'm on the coast. Um, and I, and I, you know, the salmon, uh, steelhead, all that uh, trout, all the things that were, you know, for so long before any of us were alive, considered as an infinite resource, even back in the, what, late eighties, uh, we started to see a decline and it was troubling. Yeah. 
so what kind of conservation efforts have you been a part of ever since you started? Have you, I know you said you volunteered with Trout Unlimited. Um, what's some of the work that you've done? Um, so, you know, I've gotten, I've just had such a great opportunity to be able to work with and, and for um, and around great conservation efforts. Um, starting with just like habitat restoration, uh, um, river cleanups, that, that kind of thing. Um, and then more into um, things like diversity, equity, and inclusion in the outdoors and trying to recognize the fact that um, we need to, if we, we expect everyone to care for the environment, we need to welcome everyone into the environment. Mm -hmm. And it can't just be, be me, the white woman saying, hey, everyone, you, you need to care about this. I, I need to make my space more welcoming and more inclusive. Um, so there's been a lot of work around that. Um, I've been particularly proud of a couple of things. I, in my early days, uh, fought like heck to get the dam removed from the Elwha, which by the way, that's the first place I ever caught a trout was the Elwha River. Um, and that's where I actually practiced fly fishing. And that's actually where I put my dad's ashes. Like it's a very special place for me. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, fighting like heck to get that dam finally removed. And then to now, what, shit. 30 years later, after that fight, uh, seeing the dam finally removed and then seeing the amazing, like, flourish, flourish of the fish and the flora and fauna that no one was sure would happen. It's a magical, right? And I had the privilege of, of witnessing that from start to finish. Um, and you know, the, the, the job's still not done, but oh my gosh, what a wonderful thing to be a part of for sure. Yeah. Uh, so that, and then now looking at Trout Unlimited and the whole, um, barrier removal. So they're back where they're, um, doing the, re, uh, replacing culverts with actual, with actual fish passage. So removing fish barriers, yeah. just a wonderful, wonderful project. Um, so yeah, there's just been a lot there that I, that I've really been so privileged to be a part of, um, both on the, on the environmental, like boots on the ground side, and then also working with different organizations that are helping bring folks in who aren't typically serve um, thought of when we talk about the outdoors. So Soul Rover is a good example, uh, serving youth at risk with veterans um cool. and taking them in, to outings up in the arctic and other places in alaska and um just bringing that sort of healing um uh, into their lives and then just helping them sort of have a place in the outdoors where they can be healing as well as being healed i myself have ptsd and uh, fly fishing pretty much saved my life so i'm a huge fan of of not only the environmental side of the sport that we all love and care about but also the healing that can happen when we bring folks into that or allow them to be in those spaces yeah so that's really great well i feel like i rambled sorry no no that's, no, you're, that's <laughs> you know, we appreciate you sharing all that it's it's great and 
how how have you worked to um, bring more people into the healing aspect of fly fishing? Have you worked with what organizations have you worked with? What kind of a, what kind of things have you done to try to get more people involved that way? Yeah, so it's um, a great question. So um, early on, well, way back in the day, I I worked at different um, like I ran different group homes for youth at risk and that kind of stuff, and I always tried to um, bring in sort of an outdoor um uh presence into that activities and stuff um but then as time went on i i found um chad brown who who founded soul river and i worked with him for a number of years um just i was on the board and then just helped with the outings and the different excursions and that was just designed to get again you know youth at risk and wounded vets it together and out into the outdoors and that was just a magical process um and it still is they they do tremendous work um and i was just so pleased and and honored to be a part of that um and then just going down the line talking about you know justice um and in the outdoors and diversity inclusion equity um, I was one of the founding members of United Women on the Fly, which is a, um, a large um, online presence. We're in person too, but largely we're online and we're actually international now, which is fun. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, uh, let's see, 2000, 2007, I Heather Hudson from Spokane started uh, Spokane Women on the Fly, and I saw her thing, and I was like, hey, can I do that too? So then I started Only Women on the Fly, which at the time was just was like, hey, let's all get together and do stuff um, and just be like an affiliated group to Trout Unlimited. But after a while, like both of it started to like really grow and branch out, and Heather said, hey, I'm, I'm going to make this into an LLC and I'm going to make it United Women on the Fly. And then it just took off. Like, it's been pretty great. So um, we have sort of expanded from trying, at, at the time, it was really important because we were just trying to get women recognized in the sport of fly fishing. And by the way, that's still a, it's still a thing. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's still a, an issue. <laughs> no. um, but at the time, that was our main driver. Um, and it wasn't until about three years ago that uh, we were like, hey, there's more than just, it's more than just gender equity. This, this is a larger um, issue. So we've been, United Women on the Fly, we, there's five of us that um, started it. And we've been doing a lot of work around um, the sort of the Jedi stuff, the justice, equity, diversion, inclusion work um, to try and sort of expand in a safe, in a, in a, in a responsible, safe way, um, expand the sport yeah. to, to welcome, like truly, not to tokenize Jesus Christ, but to actually really welcome other folks into the environment that we so love. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's work, man, but it's, it's good work. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, it's a crazy thing that we're still at a point where we, 
the certain people are facing challenges, you know, just walking into a fly shop or onto a river to enjoy something of God's grace. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's insane, but uh, you know, you got to do your part and, you know, a single person can make a difference by just being welcoming, you know, you're more welcoming than the, the person down the river though, so, you know, that makes a bigger impact than that, that person. So. Oh, so true, Keaton. You know, when I was, um, the first fly shop I ever went into, um, I was completely ignored and then made fun of. Yeah. Um, and I was like 18 and I didn't really have a lot of like chops. Like I didn't have a lot of like gumption. So I was just like, Oh, this is weird and odd. And then sadly, um, like the next, like the next three years, every fly shop, which there were not a lot at the time, but the fly shops I would go into were just bullshit. They were just asshats. And I just would be like, either I'm going to walk out, I'm going to just help myself and not talk to anyone, or I'm going to actually go along with this bullshit. And sadly I did all three. Yeah. But yeah. And then after a while, you know, just having been in the world for a while and gone through some shit, I was just like, this isn't okay anymore. Like, this is not, this, this will not stand. I will not put up with this anymore. Um, and then happily, you know, I found a couple of fly shops that actually weren't that way. And I was just like so relieved and delighted and thrilled. And to this day, when I, I teach fly fishing one-on-one and I teach a lot of folks local and stuff, I will tell them <laughs> very plainly, um, if you want to be treated like an actual human, here are the fly shops you go to. Do not go to X, Y, and Z. And I'm very blatant about it because I don't feel like anyone deserves that bullshit. Yeah. No, and, you know, uh, being a new angler is daunting enough. When, especially I'm sure all of us have had an experience when you start out, you walk into a, a certain place, a fly shop a, or like a group and they just kind of shut you down. Like, Oh, you know, yeah. this guy doesn't know anything. Let's not talk to him. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and the, the poor thing is, is that is that's going to hurt future businesses because you don't know what that angler could do or become and how many influence, you know, how many people get influenced by that person. So like you're saying, you're telling brand new anglers, this is not a place I would go. Right. Or someone of color or someone of that's a female or someone of, you know, something else. So that's, yeah, that's hurt putting the hurt on themselves. And it's sad that we can't continue on in life. And that, that holds us up at the door. You know what I mean? Absolutely, Keaton. Well said. Well said. Yeah. Kyle, did you want to add on to that? I was going to say, yeah, well, we appreciate you, Jay Michelle, that, that you're you're willing to be so blatant about it and tell people that. Like, it's that's helping get so many more people into the sport is if they know that there's a safe place for them here, that they, they can do it without – being concerned of being judged or being made fun of and having someone like you to have that access into fly fishing into the sport. That's, that's incredible. Appreciate that. But it takes all of us, you know, oh, yeah. it is. 
yeah for sure yeah i mean i i go out of my way a lot of times on the river and i to help other people out that i can tell maybe they just started fly fishing or or somebody who just looks like they they're they're not 100 percent of what they're doing maybe maybe somebody who's uncomfortable to ask questions like i, I always want to try to be there for somebody and, and try to help people along in a positive way i don't i ever want to be like condescending or yeah um, rude comments it, like you said it takes everybody to be welcoming and just like you said you bring the stoke to to everything right and you're you're kind of the one pumping us that as we should be but you're also pumping us up to to be even better so that's awesome i love it i love it i think there's one thing that i do is i force feed information to people (laughs) so i'll go up and be like fish this spot right here here's a fly i'll go fish this hole down here this is all you go get them and people are like they just look at me like what the fuck is this guy doing here you know so yeah be that guy you know no for sure it. absolutely yeah no i love that keaton that's outstanding <laughs> as as much as and i've said this before as much as you you know you don't want to tell people about you know how to fish a river or, or stuff because you're worried that hey this is gonna like ruin my fishing at the same time like if you get a person to care about that fishery and do the right thing and you can help them through they're going to remember that moment and hopefully you rub off something that'll take you know they'll take care of the river or help the next angler that comes by and is struggling so that's the way i look at it right yeah now keaton you and i are of the same mind i am i am not a i've never been a person that is like oh but i'm not going to tell you uh uh how how to do this i'm going to mention but i'm not going to tell you like i respect the fact that we don't put on blast certain places on rivers to, to social media. I respect that. I do. But if I'm talking to you individually, I'm going to tell you what rock to stand on and what fly to use, because me doing that means that you're going to go have a good experience and you're going to take care of that river as much as I am. And that, and there's, there's no secret spots anymore. Get over ourselves. Jesus Christ. Earth took care of that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, come on. You talk to the majority of anglers before Onyx and before stuff. Google Earth has been around for a long time. And people are always like, oh, I don't, I'm not buying Onyx. I go to here. I go, you know, I'm not buying this mapping service. I go to Google and I look at this up and I'm standing there in a day, you know, and it's like, we all forget about that too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. All right. Let's. I want to, I want to kind of, let's get going on a different direction. You've explained about your conservation. You explained about the work you're doing. Let's get on to talking about fishing and guiding. Um, you you kind of told us how you got there. What was, you know, what was your first guide experience? Like, how did you get into it? Did you know someone that got you into guiding? How, how did you learn? How was the steps like learning how to row a drift boat? Kind of, kind of give us all that. Yeah. Okay. So in my early days, I worked up at um, Waterfall Resort out of um, uh, Prince of Wales Island in in Alaska, um, and I met a bunch of bunch of folks there, um, and I and we all became friends. And when I came back home, I was like, I want to learn how to row a river. So I hooked up with a buddy of mine, Everett Athorpe, who still lives up there. Uh, and I went down to um, Oregon and he taught me how to row. And 
And because I was just obsessed. I wanted to know how to do it. Like I'd seen it. I'd never even been in a drift boat, but I saw that people could row a river and I really wanted to try. So, and he taught me like this. He'd be like, okay, get on the sticks. I checked a row and he'd like turn around and he'd look at me and he'd go, hey, I don't have collision insurance on this boat. <laughs> and then I'd look up and here'd be this like huge tree and I'd be like, shit. Like, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> by fire. <laughs> so anyway, I, I kind of learned, I, I read some books and I started and, and Everett and he still is an amazing guy. And so uh, when he wasn't working for money, I would hop in his boat. He just sort of taught me the ropes. So, and, and again, back to, I love to teach and I love to train and all that stuff. Um, I just felt like that was a natural progression, another way for me to get back. So um, I started to guide. Um, I did some walk and wave, but mostly I just, I got myself a drift boat that was just like out in a pasture for like three years and pieced it back together. <laughs> uh, started on the Yakima River in Eastern Washington. Uh, and like, and like just really got proficient over that and then just kind of progressed on there. Uh, I ended up getting a, a full on high side, 18 foot North River aluminum drift boat, which by the way, oh my God, that thing rode like a tank. Like my friends named it the Panzer because it was a freaking tank. Yeah. That's really how I got my rowing chops because dude that was a lot of boat oh, no. <laughs> um, and then i and i guided that up but of course i was still like working working corporate stuff so i was just kind of doing that part-time and for volunteer kind of stuff um but you know still learning still growing starting to teach fly tying and fly casting uh i up on the olympic peninsula my friend jim kerr who runs raincoast guides that's his guide service he taught me everything I'll ever know about Steelhead. Um, he was a tremendous teacher. I learned how to two-hand cast with him and awesome. went on several trips with him. And he just sort of kind of like, you know, by example, uh, really taught me like the really great way to uh, guide folks around Steelhead and, you know, how to talk about conservation and what's going on in the river and, and just that really, you know, that beautiful thing. Um, so I learned a lot of my manners if you will quote unquote around guiding from jim um highly recommend him by the way and uh yeah just sort of then just sort of i ended up selling the drift boat i got a stream tech raft which is a beautiful beautiful vehicle um and i rode that all over the state of washington until i blew a disc in my back so yeah that's from that's from rowing that big aluminum boat huh all that <laughs> To be honest with you, my last trip in the stream tech, I rode two gents who, um, between the two of them, were 700 pounds in my raft. And I oh, think that's what yeah. did it to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I, I also want to say real quick that I love your story, but the more that we get to know you, the more I'm like, you and Keaton have like this <laughs> story. It's really I, funny. The par like the parallels between both of you is awesome. We literally did like conservation work. We like are very, you know, prideful and picking up garbage along the river. 
we both got a boat that we put back together. We both started guiding on the Yakima River. Like, I, I think we're like a family that got lost in, in transition somewhere. Oh, I love it. I love it. No, I, I just like, like, as soon as you're like, yeah, I got my boat out of like some pasture and I had to piece it back together. I was like, uh, we're meant to be friends for life now. Standing. Outstanding. <laughs> Even after that, you guys, you guys will be be rowing drift boats in the afterlife together. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you're welcome in my piece back together drift boat anytime. Yay! <laughs> Love it. Love That's it. Awesome. That is super. So, so you you know you you did the Olympic Peninsula guiding. Let's start transitioning. Where are you now? So um, I, I still do just a tiny bit of walk and weed guiding on the OP, but you know, with the, the abysmal state of our steelhead. So three years ago, I stopped guiding up there because um, I just could not justify being another person who was putting pressure on those fish, Yeah, uh, which broke my heart because that's my favorite place in the world. Um, but that, and then COVID hit, right? Mm -hmm. And COVID hit at the same time we had some really um, emergency restrictions coming on. But prior to that, I had donated three different guide trips to uh, a Trot Unlimited group in New Mexico, of all places, one in uh, Bozeman, Montana, and then one local. So now that COVID is sort of abating, the, the folks want their trips, which they deserve. Yeah. But at the same time, I had to be really just frank and honest and be like, hey, we're going to have a really great nature walk. You're not going to catch any fish. Yeah. Let's just be real. Like, this is where we're at. Um, so I was just up on the OP this last week with two of those trips that I just referred to. Um, and, yeah, we caught whitefish and some Dolly Barton. Nice. Um, and I talked to three Creole counters and 14 boats, and there was only one steelhead caught. Holy cow. Which at this time of year, if you're familiar with the OP, if things were more normal or, or what they were like four years ago, this is the time you would be catching steelhead, wild steelhead. But That's the counts are so abysmal. Like I, I'm sure you guys just saw, but they shut it well they're shutting it, the whole system down on march 1st yeah. um but anyway that's just been a long slow decline which frankly is heartbreaking to me um but also a necessary shutdown i fully support it i worry about the folks who make their living up there doing it i have the luxury of not making my living up there right but i worry about them I worry about the guides up there I worry about the shuttle drivers like there's an economy there that we need to care about and love and support if we can in other ways because this is a big blow to them um but then you know once my back blew i started to think about different ways i could continue to guide and that's when i was like see run cutthroat trout which i love as well and i i live seven minutes right now sitting here i'm seven minutes from one of my favorite cutthroat beaches awesome. so I was like, well, let's, let's do something around that. So like four, no, five years ago, I was walking, waiting, guiding for them. And then I um, 
sold the drift boat and got a boat that has an engine instead of me being the engine. Yeah. By the way, awesome. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> I almost feel like I'm cheating, but it's really good. Um, and then, you know, you can chase the cutthroat. So I'm working on my captain's license and yeah, it's been a, it's been a, it's been an interesting transition, but I, you know, and at the same time I'm fishing and I love it. And I see things out in the Puget Sound and the Hood Canal that you don't normally see unless you're in a boat. So yeah. Yeah. How cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and now I'm just uh, working on teaching fly fishing 101 and, and fly tying. I do just get togethers for fun, for free at different breweries around town. Just like, hey, let's look at it's spring. Let's look at your fly rod and line and stuff. Make sure you're all set up and that kind of thing. And, you know, and I'm doing different um, like river cleanups and things like that as well. Yeah. So, gotcha. yeah. That's great. Going, going oh. back to the peninsula real quick on, on that steelhead fishery and you talked about how you've seen the decline and now we're, we're having closures. What do you think? I mean, there's not one answer, right? But what do you think the best plan is for trying to bring that back to what it used to be or trying to get somewhat close to it? Or is it even possible? I, you know, that's, a, that's the million dollar question, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some opinions. <laughs> Um, and they're not popular <laughs> potentially, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I, I, I like to follow the science and I'm not a fish biologist. I'm not, um, and I'll be the first one to, to admit that, but I do follow the science and I do listen to fish biologists who, who have the credentials and know what they're talking about. Um, I get concerned when, um, hatchery programs continue to pump hatchery fish into wild populations of fish. Um, There's enough science to point us in the direction that that might be um, not an optimal thing to be doing for our wild fish for for several different reasons, especially around um, steelhead. Um, And then, you know, I I worry about um, sort of uh, logging and, and long-term effects of, you know, which we all know, like long-term effects around um, destruction of the habitat. Yeah. Um, and then there's some, you know, there's some really poignant examples of like uh, mining, um, mineral extraction that could really ha- uh, hamper uh, uh, spawning and rearing habitat for steelhead specifically, which is also a concern. Um, so, you know, I, I do a lot of work around trying to combat um, those things which I feel science is pointing us in the direction of aren't, are not optimal for uh, the recovery of our wild runs of native fish. Yeah. You know, I, I want to get on my soapbox here for a minute. Do it. I, I think something that frustrates me so much is when you're talking to someone about how to save a salmon run, a steelhead run, a trout, you know, fishery, and they feel like that there's just one problem, 
you know, to it. Like, oh, it's because of this, right? A, A, B or A, B, C, right? But at the end of the day, you listen, if you go around and you talk to enough people, everyone's got one problem that they're so focused on that if we all just backed up and talked to each other and realized there's all these fucking problems in our fisheries, we could fix our fucking fisheries. It's brutally, it's brutal. I'm not a scientist, but from what I've heard that, you know, just, just look at the fucking big picture, right? We're so focused on little things. So no it's true and it it just bugs me like oh it's because this group does this or oh this group is doing this or oh they just want you know the wild fish or they want this it's like no we just just fucking do your whole part and we'll have our fisheries back if we all you know if we stop pointing fingers and we all came together and worked on it we'd be back we probably have a fishery you know by now if we did it five six seven eight years ago so, oh my god exactly so yeah Keaton, that, is, that is so i just have to i just have to pile on there for a sec because yeah. that's one of my hugest pet peeves is that you know folks who are doing the work they tend to like bicker and and sort of like try to eat each other instead of like working like instead of like picking on the so we got five nonprofits, let's say who are doing the same work around conservation, let's say. Instead of like joining and all the things they can agree on, they just go nitpicky on the things that they don't agree on. And then they just, they just consume themselves and no work gets done. But yeah. I'm like, nope, let's really concentrate on where we can agree and move forward there. Which yeah. I must tell you, I've been really impressed lately yeah. um, with, with Trout Unlimited, at least in Washington State, and around how they have begun to actually join with other um, conservation groups around the things they can't agree on. That's not always been the case. So I've been really stoked to um, witness that and be a part of that. Yeah. I'll give them pops. That's great to hear. Because it's like we're we're getting to that point that if we don't come together and we don't things, yeah. And you, you gotta you gotta work with people on both sides of the fence, right? You know, oh my god, our native and we got our hatcheries, and it's like, okay, well, we all gotta work together, right? Yeah. I mean, you gotta give a little bit to this and a little bit to that, and I'm sure there's some plan that we could build if we just put our minds to it. So I mean, look at the work that's being done around the Snake River dams. That's unprecedented. <laughs> like we've all complained about it for thirty some odd years, but this is a new collection of so many folks that were never really okay being in the same room together and now look at all the folks from all different walks of life and cultures that have come together around these around the snake river dam issue yeah that's huge that's unprecedented yeah the unity that's exciting what you don't see all the time especially in the world we live in right (laughs) right so for sure i mean and for talk about that, like it was one thing for all of us, like, oh, we gotta take these dams out. Blah, blah, blah. But like now there's like plans. Like if this were to go through, like these are the plan the concrete plans, no pun intended. <laughs> these are the these are the plans that that are put in place because people are actually coming together and making it work. Yeah. You know, I, I'll probably get burned for what I said, but you know, I, I mean it, I mean, I, I will stand true to that. Like 
there's so much work that needs to be done and we're sitting around a table pointing fingers when we should well, be putting our hands in the dirt you know what i mean i'm right there with you so yep. i just get that's i just got i just get really tired of it i hear it all the time i hear it every day and i you know i hear it from people that don't even do conservation work that they you know they can sit behind a computer or on a piece of paper and tell us what should be done but if you really want to do something you want to make a change get out there and do it you know okay. so yeah yeah Love that. oh I've, that was a weight lifted off my chest right there Love it. i just went to the sin box just, <laughs> so. yeah i'll go put your quarters in for, for the f-bombs now keaton <laughs> oh, <they're going. laughs> i'll gladly play that pay that dollar 50 for that so oh that's awesome that's awesome oh man where do we go from there right <laughs> well we go to the future i think yeah, right? absolutely. I feel like we go to the, the present and the future and we say, hey, still want to let's still talk. If you want to make a difference, let me let me show you a couple local opportunities wherever you live that you can that you can start participating in. It's easy to get discouraged when you look at the big global picture. Right. But um, let's let's start acting locally. Let's organize a, a trash pickup on a river. Let, let's talk to a, a elementary class around and kids around how to care for your stream and yeah. do this kind of thing. Let, let's get folks who maybe don't really feel welcome or don't have the access to the outdoors into the outdoors. Like, let's just really start acting in a local way in our communities that are local to us that can really just start to move that wheel, like really get that going. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to add one more thing to that, not to just piggyback off you the whole time, but uh, I really think that, you know, I think there's a lot of people that got discouraged about, you know, going to a certain creek or something by their house because no one's doing work on it. Well, there was people not doing work on some of the rivers and creeks by my house, and now I'm doing the work on there and people are starting to come and do the work on there. And yeah. so if you want to make a change, you have to be the start and you have to care for these little creeks and these little places, you know, even if they don't get, if they've never had fish in them, that's still water quality and you can still take care of that Creek. So you're helping in many ways, um, okay. just being involved and you kind of get to not like, you're not claiming it, but you kind of get to be like, Hey, I'm doing these projects on this Creek, come out and help me. Or I'm doing projects on this river, come out and help me. Or I'm helping this Lake. I'm planning this. I'm doing that. Come out, just do it. Get your hands dirty. So for sure. Yeah, definitely. And one yeah. thing too is, is that when you talk about like teaching kids, right? Like that is the next generation. And then on then that's kind of what this podcast is like based around is we are the next generation. And if we don't help facilitate that to this generation, they're never going to know because they're they're. I feel like people are becoming more dis disconnected from the outdoors yeah. by trying to bring them in and teach them these conservation things. Now that will stick with them, hopefully into the future where they'll be like, Oh, this salmon doesn't, we don't have any salmon or we don't have any steelhead here. And they can then have that, that mindset where they have to preserve that. And that, I think that's great by getting to the next generation, letting them know. Um, Cause a lot of, a lot of people who might not have parents super involved um, with conservation or in the outdoors, we can get, we can get to those people and say, Hey, this is important. And this is why you should care. And this is what it means for everybody's future. 
Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, no, Kyle, that is outstanding. Exactly right. Exactly right. So I, more. I got a question and, you know, this can be a broad question, right? It doesn't have to have an exact answer, but what have you found most useful to help get the youth involved in such a world of, you know, being on their phones and being on the internet and the, almost a cyber planet, you know, what, what would be your tips to someone that wants to get out, wants to do something, wants to fish, even if it's not conservation, but just enjoy nature. What would you tell or how would you get the youth involved? Okay. Honestly, I've been most successful with, and, and folks I've worked with, I've seen the most success if we provide safety and access and opportunity. Um, so, I mean, really just that's, that's really it, um, safety and access and opportunity. I, I, I'm never going to be a person who feels like youth quote unquote are disengaged. I feel like, uh, as adults, unfortunately, we do a lot to disengage them. <laughs> um, so just in my limited experience, um, I feel like if we provide access safe access and opportunity usually to be honest with you most folks regardless of age are way more interested in in doing things yeah yeah also snacks help <laughs> you <laughs> tell you know. <laughs> no guaranteed you get like i probably get a 10 percent more turnout to my cleanups if i'm like yeah there will be lunch involved yeah, and it's absolutely. Free. <laughs> that motivates me <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go plant some trees if I get to eat a Subway sandwich or something, you know? So. Well, we've talked about some good stuff there. Um, let's transition into the next one. Kyle, you want to take it away? So like we mentioned, we've talked about a lot of great things and we've talked about your, your history and your work with conservation and working you know, with uniting different groups of people to get big things done. And I want to come back again to um, kind of your next step in your guiding career and um, guiding on the sound and what that kind of looks like. And you mentioned earlier getting your captain's license. What does that process look like to just even be ready to guide on the, on the sound? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of have a, a um, the way that I pay my bills and, and love my life right now is I have three different distinct things that I all need to work at once. So one is working for a nonprofit for Native Fish Society, which is great. I love the advocacy. They're a great advocacy group. And that's how I get my health insurance key. Uh, two is I love to teach. So I, I'm teaching fly tying, casting, fly fishing 101, entomology, all that kind of stuff. And then the third prong there for me is guiding. Um, but here I'm guiding on saltwater, so I need my captain's license to do that um, legally and appropriately. So um, studying a ton, just started testing um, through the Mariners and Learning System. It's five modules. You got to pass each one with a 90% or better. Um, it's a little stressful. I don't think I've had this much stress about a test since probably high school. <laughs> <laughs> Not even college was this stressful, but uh, getting through it. So I'm um, going to do that. And then I'll be able to um, guide folks on the sound uh, and the hood canal. 
out of my boat. Um, and then, you know, chase those beautiful here on Cutthroat Trot, which we don't know a lot about, but we love. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I participate a lot in the, uh, like Keith, you guys had Keith Robbins on your, mm-hmm. so, you know, Keith runs that big um, fundraiser, Coastal Cutthroat Coalition for them at Hula in Seattle. And I, and I help him run that every year. We're doing that again here on the 10th of March. Um, but, you know, I care about those fish and they're such um, elusive and beautiful fish. They're just starting to be fished for more, I think, because steelhead and salmon are a little bit on a decline. And that's a little bit of an alarm for me, right? Not that I want to be the only one or one of the select few that guide for them, but we need to learn what the uh, what this fishery needs and what they don't and what pressure we're putting on them or not. So I'm very much into helping fund the research around these these amazing creatures that we don't know a lot about. Although they, um, if you look at a map of the um, temperate rainforest that goes from BC, Alaska, BC down to Northern California, the presence of sea uh, run cutthroat trout exactly follow that map and they're the only fish that we know currently that uh we can trace back to the ice age like they've been around since then so they're 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 elusive and mysterious and and amazing creatures so yeah i wonder what you think oh i said it's the new frontier fly fishing right yeah I wonder if like back then, if they're like a lot bigger, you know, like the, were they like giant, imagine like a, like a log sized sea run cutthroat just making a wake across the beach. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Lord knows. Yeah. But there's a lot. That's awesome. You guys talked to Keith about it. There's just a lot we don't know about that fishery and those fish. Uh, But I want to, I want to stay on the, right side of history around how we guide and treat those fish as yeah, well absolutely because yeah. if you're going to make a fishery out of them you're going to want to make sure that when you manage them correctly right away instead yeah. of finding out later down the road like oh what i've been doing is actually this probably isn't great for them or this isn't good so yeah exactly exactly cool so, um, you know, we've covered a lot of great topics for talking about this. Um, what let's, we're going to kind of come back to almost the beginning a little bit. Um, what is it like to be a woman in the fly fishing industry? Well, it's, a uh, huh, it's better now than it was. Yeah. But I can honestly tell you it's not great. Yeah. Um, you know, the things we talked about earlier around being ignored and, and, and then the worst was not ignored but ridiculed in fly shops isn't me being dramatic. And it wasn't just a, fly, a one fly shop. It was yeah. any. <clears throat> and in fact, you can still walk into shops and that happens. Yeah. Uh, just different now is that I'm 55 and I can tell them to fuck off. But <laughs> oh, there, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, I think in the swear jar, but I don't care as much as we used to. But <laughs> um, 
I can tell you that the advent of the internet was really helpful because it helped women connect with other women who actually fly fish. And that's been, we found a lot of solidarity and uh, similar experiences and some strength around that. Um, But, you know, it's a great question, right? But you could replace fly fishing. What's it like to be a woman and then fill in the blank? Yeah. What's it like to be a woman in politics? What's it like to be, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a great question. And then and then we get to add to that and say, hey, okay, what's it like to be a woman who um, who um, is of color yeah. in the world, in fly fishing, in whatever? What's it like to be a person who uh, identifies as a woman in, I mean, so, we can fill in the blank there, right? And a lot of the responses are the same. Is that yeah, it's better than it was, but it still ain't great. So the um, the I think the challenge that I I offer myself and others um, is that if you're in a position of power, so basically that means if you're a white man and affluent in any way, or just a white man in general. Um, what are you going to do in your lifetime to make it easier to be a different gender other than white male that will make it easier for people in the world? Like, that's my challenge. Like, how, like every day I, I think to myself, well, how can I make this world more welcoming for X, Y, or Z, right? And I really want to just challenge, particularly um, because they, the, it's the dominant culture not that I'm picking on, but it's just the dominant culture. Um, If you're part of the dominant culture, what can you do on a daily basis that is going to make other people feel welcome and accepted in the world? Like, what can you do every day to sort of make strides in that direction? Uh, And that, that honestly, is my challenge around, I mean, fly fishing, sure, but really life in general. Yeah. You know, I think uh, just finding a way to almost take that factor out and just be, you know, talk when you're out fishing with people, you're just another, it's another person enjoying that same thing that you're enjoying. You know what I mean? Like we got to kind of get to that mindset as, oh, this is a resource. We're all out here enjoying it. And just because this person might be a little bit different than I am, I got to be in, you know, how can I make their experience just as good as my experience? Right. And that goes back to giving tips and taking them out fishing and talking about all this stuff. Um, but yeah, that I agree with you. Well said, you know, just doing that, doing that, just even just considering like, what are some barriers to access that maybe I'm not aware of right now, but let me just look around and are there barriers to access? And is there anything I can do about that? Sometimes the answer is no. But sometimes the answer is yes. And then it's like, oh, happy day. Yeah. Yeah. The way I kind of see it too is like, how can I put my arm around this person and bring them forward with me, right? I'm I may be here in the race, but I want to bring this person up with me and we're going to excel forward into building this community, right? Breaking the walls on the community. Yeah, for sure. You know, I just want to kind of add just a little bit more to this and you know just to say you know 
a lot you can pretty much talk to any woman in the fly fishing industry and they've had an experience like yours in the fly shop and i think that sometimes as like a a male in the fly fishing world you know you go in you go in you buy your purple hazes and you talk and you leave and i don't think what we realize is that there's people that walk in and don't have that same experience which is sad um and especially it can be on fly shops that are local to you that you go and see and you're like these guys are so great and then you send that person there and they're like i had like a weird experience there and you're like i'm so sorry i did not know that was the the other side of the book so yeah that's that's really that's a really good observation keaton and that's why i'm so vocal in my classes and to anyone who asks me locally around what shops to go to i tell them i tell them where to go and where not to go because I don't want to be responsible for someone's horrible experience like that. Yeah. Um, but I did kind of want to give you two a shout out. I, honestly, I, I, um, I've done a, just a couple of podcasts. I've listened to a lot. But what I really want to honor and, and congratulate and, and encourage you two about is that you, you're really um, taking podcasts around fly fishing and being young gents uh to to a to a much better level uh you're you both kyle keaton you're both willing to like talk about the hard stuff and not shy away from it and really have that discussion like i really feel like your podcast you guys is like helping elevate our sport and our experience and i'm so excited about that and i just oh my gosh i appreciate you both so much for the work you're doing yeah, yeah we really it. appreciate that thank you so much. <laughs> that, that's some deep words for us so thank you that's the that's the best comp- compliment you received so we appreciate yeah. it okay let's get kind of we've been i've we've been holding on for a long time with you let's get rolling into the final stuff we have like one or two more questions and then we got a rapid fire round for you that's all our favorite part so okay i'm ready yeah well um Kyle, you want to do that one? Yeah, well, I have a I have a quick question. If somebody wants to experience the stoke that Keaton and I have experienced tonight talking with you, Jay Michelle, how can somebody um, attend one of your classes, one of your casting classes, or one of your fly tying? How how can somebody get involved with you? Uh, follow me on my Insta, um, and usually my classes are posted there. If you just want to have the stoke without paying money, call me on the phone. <laughs> i love it <laughs> that's awesome and we're we're gonna make sure that we keep people up to date especially when you get started guiding you know they can i'll mention again later but they can find you on our website um and then if you have a website we can feel free to share it or if you have anything that you want to add uh we'll add that in a little bit later but um yeah, yeah, I'm at only only women on the fly is my Insta and my website. So, Perfect. yeah, and Facebook, but I hate Facebook. But anyway, yeah, we're starting to like. I think a lot of people are shying away from it. So bad. Yeah. yeah. So moving into kind of our final questions, is there anything that we haven't asked you that you wanted to add? Covered a lot of good stuff. We have, and I appreciate your questions. And again, you guys are like so thoughtful and and brilliant with your questions. Um, You asked me to send you photos, and I saw you put all four of them in, but you didn't ask me about the dog. Oh, let's hear it. 
So I just, every time I, I, anyone asks me for pictures, I have to include a picture of Duncan James, who's my lab. Awesome. The 11 in June, his name is Duncan James because every lab needs a middle name. That's how they know you're serious. <laughs> um, That's awesome. He is, like when I run into people I haven't seen in a bit, they're just like, oh, how's Duncan? Like that's, we get that out of the way. And then they ask me about me. Like he's an amazing dog. So thank you for letting me include him in the pictures because oh. he's the best. If we, if he could talk, we'd have him on the podcast as well. <laughs> the stuff a dog could tell you probably. Oh my God. Nope. Not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's transition into that rapid fire round, Keaton. All right. This is our favorite portion. Uh, we get to, I mean, we've already been kind of throwing you off guard, but we really hit you with like the questions you don't think you'd hear on a podcast every day. Um, so with that said, here we go. Okay. It, it, what is your favorite fish to fish for? Steelhead. Steelhead. like it. Nice, nice. <clears throat> so I, I went on your website and I, I read a little bit about you too. And I, I've noticed that you have been able to go and, fly fish in a lot of places around the world, right? What is your dream destination? Like, where is the next place you want to go? And, oh, dream destination, uh, probably Chile. All right. Yeah. Cool, cool. Okay. Here's the, here's the, the questions of all questions. You're going out for a guide trip or, or maybe not a guide trip. You're going out to fish for fun. You're kind of getting hungry on the river. What is your like go-to snack or meal? And what is your go-to drink? Mm. Full disclosure, it's going to be gross. But favorite snack, honestly, I always have a little um, hard cheese and meats uh -huh. in, like a, in like a Ziploc bag. And uh -huh. my favorite is when the cheese just from the own body heat gets a little melty, then I eat it. Mm, yeah, that's not that gross. It's okay. Kind of, it's like warming up cheese, you know? It's, I mean, it's delicious, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then favorite beverage, honestly, is like probably like iced tea. Tea's a good one. Refreshing. Yeah. Not, and beer is later. Like, I love beer. Yeah. I brew beer. I love it so much, but I don't drink while I fish. So. Nope. It's like we're operating a vehicle. Can't row and drink, you know. There you go. Yep. Yeah. All right. You're going to the river. You're either whether you're you're guiding, you're getting ready for a guide trip, or you're just going fishing for the day. What are you turning on the radio? What are you listening to? A podcast? Are you listening to music? Are you driving in silence? What's go what are you listening to? 100 percent Taylor Swift. All day, every day. <laughs> I the love it. My life. Oh, dude, I'm a huge Swifty. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, oh, challenge me. I will give you a Taylor Swift song for any, any circumstance. <laughs> nice. I love it. I love it. I don't, uh, I don't it's hard to it. admit, but I might as well be honest. Oh, that's fine. That's great. Everyone's got their stuff. All right, you're headed out the door. What's the first outdoorsy thing that you're going to grab? 
Uh, what do you mean? To go fishing. You're, yeah, you're headed out the door. First thing you're grabbing to go fishing, you can't leave the house without it. Cotton glasses. Cotton glasses. Thank you, Kyle. You phrased that way better. <laughs> All good. What is something that you wish you knew when you started fly fishing? I got to think on that for a sec. Um, it, um, it doesn't matter. Experience doesn't matter. Like, I think when I first started, like, I was just so like, oh God, I wonder if I'm doing this right. And then when I just kind of let go of that and just thought, hey, I'm just going to try this, things got so much better. Yeah. Nice. You got to fail to succeed. Yeah. Okay. I got another, I got another question, similar, but different. Something you wish you knew when you first started guiding. I'm sure. I, hold on, I gotta think for a sec. Yeah, that's fine. It's gonna, it's gonna sound weird, but to be honest with you, um, I wish I would have known uh, initially that catching a fish wasn't the actual uh, be-all, end-all to a guide trip. It wasn't a measure of success. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. For sure. No, that does. Like, what you mean is you can't really sit in silence and try to just hammer fish all day, you know. So. Even if you're catching a lot of fish, I think it's important to know that that's not the most important part of the day, too. It's like, it's, it's everything else that goes on on top of that. Fishing is just just icing on the cake. Yeah. Well, well said, Kyle. All right, we uh, we'd love to end our podcast with your favorite fishing or guide moment, like a story, funny, serious, goofy, embarrassing, uh, gross, embarrassing, anything. Just hit us with a story. Okay. Honestly, my my favorite guide and i've had a lot but what you when you said that what came to my mind was um i took a a a mom and her daughter out on the raft down the callitz river here south of olympia washington and the daughter hadn't fished very much at all and in fact she was a little bit skeptical about fishing and i want to say at the time she was probably 11 and um the mom was just like, listen, I, I don't know how to really relate to my kid and I'm going to bring her on this trip and we'll just see what happens. Um, and by the end of the day, the, the daughter had not only caught fish, but she, she turned to her mom who was behind me and said, mom, I never knew I could be this good at anything. And it was just because her mom was like so patient and just like, you know, this tidy cast, you know, I helped out a little bit, but really it was more like the interaction between the mom and the daughter and, and the, and the kid just being like, wow, I can actually do something and do it well. And it was just, it was a beautiful thing to witness. Oh, that's super cool. That's a great yeah. story. That's awesome.
All right, Kyle, you want ready for me to take us out? Yep, go for it, Keaton. All right, I just wanted to uh, add a little portion to this uh, with some WDFW news. Um, she, um, Jay Michelle mentioned it earlier, but uh, make sure to check your local fish closures before heading out, especially to the Olympic Peninsula uh, after March 1st, because there is a bunch of them um, that are closing. So uh, go there. I mean, you can go, what is it, www.wdfw. And then you can like, or you can just go to WDFW and Google fish closures and it should pop up for the, that month. And then what's been closed um, and make sure to check it before you head out. Cause it can change like in a snap of a finger, you know, I've heard people going out fishing and it changed like at midnight. Um, so make sure you check that out uh, before you go out on your next venture. Um, with that being said, uh, we just want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Young Guides podcast. Uh, and we want to thank Jay Michelle for taking the time tonight, hopping on and talking to some, you know, just some young guides and sharing your experience. And, you, you know, we're learning stuff as much as the people listening. And we hope that the people listening take away some stuff. Um, if people want to go on a trip or uh, get in contact, can you mention just how how to do that again for us jay michelle yeah so uh either go on instagram to oli o-l-y women mm -hmm. on the fly or my website which is only women on the fly.net awesome and then can you also mention some of those group names just name dropping so if people want to get involved in certain topics or certain things in our fishery yeah i, I do you mean the different groups yeah the different groups that you're in yeah, so um, Native Fish Society is a good one. Uh, Trout Unlimited, either your local chapter or state chapter, or even national, also a good one. Uh, Wild Steelheaders United do a great job, as does Wild Steelhead Coalition. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, even beyond that, if you want to look at just like local groups that are going out around um, different cleanup, like if you have a salmon enhancement group in your area, connect with them. Yeah. Um, and also if you have an occasion to, um, I want to say, if you have and, and, and or live on tribal lands, um, I encourage you to reach out to your local tribe, like the organization, reach out through their website, go visit the, um, their clubhouses, go to some uh, different public meetings now that COVID's sort of waning a titch. Um, local tribes are having get-togethers again. I encourage you to also reach out to your local tribes. Awesome, awesome. Okay. So those are some good ways to get involved um, in your fisheries, get out and fish. I mean, a lot of people think Trout Unlimited or these groups are just fish cleanup groups. This is actually a great way to meet meet people. And this is also a great way to get out and fish with people and learn, you know, people from all walks of life come and join TU. So um, I, I think we all can vouch for it, get out there, meet some people. Um, we want to come back to this, and I just want to say thank you for taking the time and listening to our previous podcast. We uh, appreciate it so much. Me and Kyle see you guys watching, sharing, tagging us and stuff. If you want to tag us and stuff, you can tag us on our Instagram at the Young Guides Podcast. Um, you can also tag us now on Facebook or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and we're doing not just our only our podcast, but we're hoping to do some learning moments up there. Um, stay tuned for the next couple of weeks. If you go to our uh, website, www.theyoungguidespodcast.com, 
Uh, we'll be posting some blogs. Uh, we're working on a learning center. So if people are just getting into fly fishing or, or have been doing it in a little while and just want to learn how to rig up stuff, how to um, just use things properly, uh, you can check it out there on our website. Um, you can also listen to our podcast on our website and learn about all these great people and your hosts on this, the website as well. Um, also, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Northern Nids, uh, Lucky Bug Lures, Heather's Choice, and Alaska Rodco for being affiliates and partners with us on this podcast. Um, you know, they're helping share. We're helping share. They're great people, uh, local businesses. Uh, all of them are, uh, except Lucky Bug, are made in the USA, but showing a little support to our Canadian friends above never hurt anyone. So check out Lucky Bug too. Um, Kyle, is there anything else you wanted to add to that? Uh, no, I think you covered it all very well, Keaton. We just, again, want to say thank you, Jay Michelle, for joining us for this episode. This has been great conversation with you. And I, I'm looking forward to chatting with you more in the future. I'm sure this is just the start of the relationship with that we have with you. So, All right. I uh, just want to, we're going to send this out now. Thank you so much, Jay Michelle. Um, thank this you, was so lovely thank you so much for having me on it was so great to keep and talk to you a little more and kyle to meet you in, in zoom person and talk I, I really appreciate everything you guys are doing yeah for sure yeah thank you thank you well this is another episode of the young guides podcast uh we'll make sure to catch you on the next one peace